You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. In today's episode, we have a manager who is well-versed in both public and private real estate funds, speaking to the current market opportunities. And on the other side, we have an allocator whose family has been in Toronto real estate for 90 years, having built landmarks and communities in Toronto, and who now provides peerless clarity on managing through boom and bust cycles. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome, everybody. This is April 2nd, and this is the CASA podcast, Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Investment Coin. I'm James Baran with CASA. Today, we have Adam Halbert with Timberline Equities and Jimmy Shan with Slate Securities. Uh, we'll start with the introductions. Uh, maybe you can start, Adam. Uh, all right. Thanks, Jim. Um, um, so my name is Adam Halbert. We, I guess I work as part of a family business. Um, and called Timberline Equities. We're, I don't know what we are, we're a multi, we're a multi-asset um, owning family office. I, I focus mostly on distress and rail, but I mean, we own hedge funds, we're fund of funds, mm-hmm. we're direct investments. We own public, we own privates, we'll do private equity, we'll do venture. Um, I think we sometimes we get lucky, other times we don't. I, I, I Other than that, but just, you know, family office. We have, we've been in Toronto as a, as an allocator, maybe since 1930, um, you know, as succeeding generations of people that have been investing in primarily the Toronto real estate market, but then we've branched out and diversified into other markets. Great. Thanks. Uh, do you do uh, venture capital at all, or is it mostly the, uh, the higher tier stuff like private equity? We, do venture capital, um, and I say that a little bit hesitantly. Um, we've done a couple education companies in the last few years, which there were more initiatives by the guys in our office that wanted to find social benefit and places to park their cash that kind of align. Um, I don't like venture capital all that much, especially now, because I think it's a it's a relatively risky space and it's been very, very frothy and I don't understand revenue multiples very well. But I mean, yeah, I'll do it if it makes sense. I'm just not, I'm not always there every day. Cool, thanks. And Jimmy, what have you been doing the last couple of years? Yeah, thanks, James. So I'm Jimmy Shan. I'm a portfolio manager at Slate Securities. Um, my partner and I, we launched Slate Securities uh, a couple of years ago uh, to invest in publicly traded real estate companies and direct real estate as well. Uh, all, all we do is real estate. Um, and the, the idea of having of playing in both public and private markets was, you know, we often saw a disconnect between those two markets. A building could be priced very differently if it's within a REIT or, or by the private market. And so by playing in both markets, we have the flexibility to pivot to where the opportunities are. Um, so that's what we've been doing last couple of years, and and I would say that in you know this kind of environment, where you know where the, the disconnect is becoming even more 
uh, even more pronounced as the private market is effectively at a standstill, whereas the public market is is discounting a lot of the, a lot of the REITs today. Uh, some of them at, at, at pretty significant uh, at pretty significant discount. And so it's safe to say, and at least from our standpoint, is that that's where we see the opportunities is the public markets. As an organization, Slate Securities, we are affiliated with um, a larger private equity firm, Slate Asset Management. Um, and it puts us in a good situation in, in being able to get good intel of what's happening in the private market. And so that allows us to also make better investment decisions. Right. And uh, I know your partner, Fraser was uh, in derivatives for, for, for years and, and very much in, I guess it's not really public markets, but uh, kind of more of the higher twitch. And then uh, in your previous role, I think you, you were a lot more, were you a lot more in the, in the public markets as well? Um, and how have you found uh, if you had any adjustment to the private markets or is it more like, is it the same thing, but the pricing uh, uh, price discovery is a lot faster in, in uh, the public markets? Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, last 15 years, I've been a sell side read analyst. So I have been in the public markets. Uh, you know, the, the, the difference between the public and private is 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 actually quite dramatic. Um, the public markets, uh, as we know, is, is a highly discounting machine. And so in times like today, where there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, the bull case and the bear case are equally plausible. Uh, in a situation like that, you know, explains the volatility because the market is constantly trying to guess as to what the outcome is going to be, and as a result, discount that outcome into the stock price today. In the private market, you know, again, because of where we sit, uh, we sit within a private real estate equity firm. You know, we see how the underwriting of real estate gets done, and it's certainly do not done the way public markets are done. You know, it's a ten-year yeah. DCF. You know, it, it's 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 very much on the asset. Um, it's less macro, uh, whereas the public markets is probably, I would argue, a lot more macro, especially today. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's different time horizon, um, and 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 because of that, actually, and the players are different too, right? The players in the public markets are dramatically different than the players in the private market. Uh, but again, mm -hmm. both real estate is unique in that we have those two parallel markets. And so that same building will be priced very differently depending on the players, depending on the time horizon, and depending on what you focus on. And so that's the type of opportunity we're trying to capitalize on. Oh, very good. And well, let's, let's hear from the other player land, uh, Adam. How, how does your family office like to uh, get access to real estate? Is it the REITs or through an advisor or uh, like a fund or uh, construction or, or do you just like to do your own direct deals or or did you guys maybe just build your office building and just leave it that like how, how have you guys generally got uh, got exposure to real estate? Our exposure to real estate probably goes back to my great grandfather's fashion business in the fashion building at Richmond and uh, wow. Spadina, which we still own. I think there's I th and we own the Balfour building across the, across the street. I mean, the, you have to look at Toronto in terms of its, you know, maybe 50-year progression from 1970 to today. And if you ask most guys in real estate, especially the old guys, they'll say, you know, Toronto was a backwater until, until was it the, 19, the 1970s when, when all the English speakers left Montreal and they moved to Canada and to Toronto, sorry, not Canada. Well, what, yeah, because when was the TD Centre? 1967, eh? So that, that was kind of when we, uh, 
kind of became a, a city sort of thing or Cadillac Fairview. And I think that's a Mies van der Rohe design. I mean, is it, you, Toronto was always a second tier city to Montreal until after that moment. Mm. And a lot of us who, who were pre-existing in, you know, buy and sell mercantile type businesses, you know, and we were in the Schmata business. Um, it's the fashion <laughs> building, you know, great grandfather yeah. was, you know, Rag trade, traveling to New York City, to Bloomingdale's, taking, you know, buying some product, taking some pictures, and then duplicating it here, almost like someone would do yeah. in Vietnam today. Um, you know, but fast forward, he started to build buildings. And I, I don't understand the exact progression because I never spent a lot of time with him. But I mean, you look at the portfolio, his portfolio, and we still own, you know, 650 Briar Hill, or, you know, my cousins do. And, we still own, I don't know, I don't know how many acres, maybe 200 acres in 416, wow. something like that, sporadically placed. I mean, in 19, 2015, we sold 160 front to Cadillac Fairview. I, I think I can access the market from a multiple mm -hmm. of different angles and that any single player, especially the longer held family companies, know us mostly philanthropically now, but we have existing joint ventures with a lot of people. And good reputation, you know, talking to bankers, uh, you know, on the, you know, even the other day, we, we don't have any debt really. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we're more of a fictitious element of the commercial lending space, but they know us because they drive down the street and they see the buildings that we own in years past, the guys that were doing business and building were, you know, were, were active in the borrowing front. The real estate market for me is basically, I know the players, this is basically home. And so I, I would not not do business in real estate when I have the opportunity to do so because I have a lot more transparency than other people. Hmm. Um, and that's, it's a wonderful thing. That's cool. I know you also do, um, you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, like distressed and railroads and how, how do you, how was the distress? Is that distressed real estate that you're getting into or? Um, in the years as we've diversified our portfolio and it's a lot of that is my dad and seeing opportunities and, you know, being in the deal flow in the, in, in the Toronto community. So you get approached with deals and every, you know, if you know the circuit, everyone's, everyone who has a good idea is around and you're only two or three people removed from that good idea and, and they show up at your door. And so my dad set, set up a private equity business that was not real estate in the 1990s with a guy named Brad Ashley mm -hmm. called Privec. And, you know, there have been various derivations that went to institution we, and we've included and, and, wow. and, and we've, yeah. you know, we've, we've been in certain deals and, and, and not in others, but obviously multiples have grown from four to 10 or plus, And we, you know, don't like that. And we're, we're fairly conservative people that don't like leverage because as, as some people would recognize, especially the, the old timers that, you know, the 1990s for business in Toronto was one of the worst periods of time, perhaps in you know Canadian business history, you know you have the ONY bankruptcy, you had the Trizac bankruptcy, all of the family offices that were in real estate for development were you know somewhere between sixty to eighty percent levered with the CRA holding some other junior <laughs> position, and uh, at some point some guys realized that it was a good idea to not have all your eggs in one basket, and we we I mean we we've lasted, which is which is a testament of you know you know maybe some luck. You didn't go campo, did you? 
we did not go Campo, but we also we also never built 160 Front Street, right? You know, that's a building that had dead, you know, 10, 15 times density on it. it was a, it's a parking lot, you know, since my great grandfather tore down the hotel, which he bought from CN, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Um, and uh, no, I mean, that, you know, that 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 site had been around for years. And, you know, as kids, we all knew that, you know, there was, you know, 250 stories, 250 story buildings planned for that. We could do it. But you know, fundamentally, we're not going to take out $500 million of debt, you know, on two office buildings and, and, you know, and risk everything just so that we can say, look what we did, right? It's, uh, it's, it, it's a very low profile. Um, you know, I think I was taught to, you know, donate charity anonymously. You don't, no one needs to know what you do. If you're, if you're honest about your trade, then you don't need to get publicity. You do it for mm-hmm. its own sake. And, you know, if you love what you do, you're happy to be stealth because, what do you need other people to know your business until you actually need to go to sell? Yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned baskets. So, uh, so Jimmy, what, what what sort of baskets are you in? Is it, uh, yeah, there's all these different types of real estate, um, or is there some kind of niches that you that you really love uh, that you've uh, like with all of your years of experience in the REIT side, things that have proven well, and and maybe are they better access with a REIT or? or through the, the uh, private transactions or directs? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I do want to say something what Adam touched on, mm-hmm. which is the, the issue of leverage. Um, it's, it's interesting. I think after the great financial crisis, uh, I was attending a, a big real estate conference and there's a big panel and all the who's who of real estate were there. And you know, somebody asked, what's the greatest lesson you learn? And uh, you know, every single one of them said, oh, don't take on too much debt. <laughs> to which the uh, moderator said, "Well, that's like a thousand-year-old lesson, you know." And and when you think about today, like you know, um, a lot of companies who are going to get into trouble coming coming out of this crisis is going to be exactly the same issue, which is leverage. Leverage can really kill you if you if you don't use it in a disciplined way. And I think that's what the 1990s certainly showed or taught a lot of the people who are still in business today not to do. So today, for instance, when everything has been sold off in in the real estate space. I think the most important criterion is survivability. You know, who's got the liquidity who can who can carry through this downturn? If your rents, if your tenants don't pay rent um, for the next couple of months, uh, can you still survive? Um, and, and I think that's going to be proven out over the next little while. And and I think, you know, luckily a lot of people, um, you know, who were in, in you know who were operating real estate during the 1990s. Um, they've learned their lesson. And so a lot of the REITs are actually very well capitalized today, which, which is, you know, a lot of them are in a good position. But um, in terms of portfolio building, uh, our, our philosophy is actually quite simple. Um, we invest bet- uh, in about 10 to 12 asset classes, um, and we, we would rank each asset class based on the risk return profile of that asset class over the long term. Um, and so what we found, um, ironically, is that um, some of the more niche real estate asset class have tended to perform the best over the long term. Asset classes like uh, manufactured housing communities, which is basically a land rent, uh, self-storage, um, and, and multi-res have performed um, very well over the long term. And, and all, all three of which are kind of more what I would call population-driven type of real estate. Um, asset classes that usually show up in pretty brochures are like office buildings. Um, tend to be a lot more cyclical and, and also consume a lot of CapEx. And so you can make money in office, but, um, but if you're buy and hold, um, uh, you, know, you, get, you better be sure that you're getting in at the right point in the cycle. 
um, because you know over the long term they haven't been they haven't proven to be as as strong a return um, relative to the risk uh, than some of the other asset classes. So how we do it is we rank these different asset classes based on what we like, and then we're trying to find the best value for money in each of the asset mm -hmm. class. And we could find that that opportunity in both in either public markets or private markets. Um, and the example I would use is is you know uh, just just late last year, uh, you know the publicly traded industrial REITs in Canada were trading at very very high multiples, and um, at a point where it was very hard to to make sense of 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 you know even though the fundamentals are really strong. It's very tough to buy them at that multiple, and so we were able to find a unique opportunity to buy an industrial asset in the GTA um, at uh, like 125 bucks a foot, which which you know which uh, which was a really good price. And so that's how we seek out the opportunities. Is uh, is we we're sort of um, agnostic as to whether it's public or private, um, just so long as we can get the best value for money. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. So how. You mentioned tenants paying rent. Um, how? What, what do you think is going to come of this crisis? Because it seems I'm not sure if this is true. You've, you're close to it than I am, but the governments are kind of saying you really can't evict, uh, and then tenants are saying, "Well, we've got real trouble." And there'll be more of it, I think, because um, you know the Q and Q2 is quarantine because uh, Trudeau kind of said this is going to be until the end of June. Uh, people basically at home, um, and so if you're in the commercial real estate market. Are you going to get rents, and how how might you or some of your your peers mitigate some of that? I don't know if there's insurance, but how um, what do you think is going to happen in the near term? And then uh, part two after this, what's the aftermath of of COVID? Is it a change to the way people work and where they live, where they are during the day, or is it just going to go back back to normal, back to the same party? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a big concern. And that's been the topic of the day uh, for the last couple of weeks in, in the real estate circle, especially, you know, yesterday. Uh, I think what we're going to um, find out over the next few days is how many, you know, how, how, what percentage of tenants paid their rents uh, and, you know, what percentage skipped. Uh, we're hearing all kinds of different anecdotes, but mm -hmm. really nothing firm right now. Uh, but it's it's really hard to tell. Um, I, you know, I can tell you that where people are fearing the most is in the retail space, right? right. And, and sort of intuitively, that makes sense. You know, if you if your if your strip centers are closed or your malls are closed, um, you know, how is the hairdresser going to be paying you the rent? And and yeah. so I think uh, I think the market recognizes that risk, and that's why you've seen retail already having sold off, given of given the the headwind of e-commerce, I think, has sold off even more um, because of this added issue of which tenant is gonna, uh, which tenant is gonna pay, and then who is gonna survive out of this, and and that that is really the big question. And to answer that question, you kind of need to know how long this downturn is gonna last, right? And then when we do get back, you know, is this gonna be a V-shape? Are we gonna get back to normal, or are we still going to? Is it gonna be a more of a prolonged recovery and? And is it is the downturn long enough that's going to cause permanent damage to to tenants? Um, you know, the problem today is that you know it, it's a, it's a wide the, the range of probable outcome is very wide, and so you can argue it's a V shape 
or you could argue it's a U shape. I mean, it's or it's, an L or an I. Yeah. <laughs> um, any letter you want, but um, but but that is a real concern. I think that's what the you know that's part of the reason why the REIT space has sold off a little bit more than some other sectors, is is because of that. The the there's been a lot of especially on the residential side where there's a lot of sort of almost uh, backlash against landlords. Uh, but, you know, recognizing that, yes, t some tenants, you know, have lost their jobs, they can't afford to pay rent, but landlords need to pay mortgages and property taxes and utilities, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So, so it, that buck can be passed for so long. Um, but we'll, we'll find out that every company has come up with different type of uh, response. Some of them have proactively offered incent uh, 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 programs for the tenants who have extreme financial difficulties. But I think it's a bit too early to tell. Um, the next few weeks, we'll, we'll find out really how many tenants uh, have, have skipped rents. That's great. Thanks. How about uh, from you, Adam, like from the properties that you have, uh, are, you, are you worried about, about tenants maybe not paying going forward? And, and how do you think maybe the, the nature of work might, might have changed or if it has? Good question. Um, you know, I've been, I've been in, I've been looking for distressed properties for two years and I've been called crazy for two years. And so, um, I think, you know, the way we've looked at it is, you know, I mean, first of all, the cycle of our businesses are such where there's, there's different lines of succession and different levels of people that are leaving and exiting. Um, and in, and, and the structure for leverage and growth hasn't been in place since, especially since, since we've been trying to delever and, 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 and divide things into separate buckets. Um, and so when I look at the apartment buildings in the portfolio, some of which, I mean, my great grandfather owned the land for Jane and Finch and built it. And we still have joint ventures there and God bless those people. And, you know, we MS 13 on the 13th floor and you're, you know, you, you, Put money into community centers so that you could rehabilitate the community. I mean, that's a Greenwin initiative, but you know we were a part mm -hmm. of that. Um, we, you know, and, and if you look at how Greenwin responded, and, and those guys do manage a lot of buildings, and they've been around for a long time. And and if you'd believe that a lot of their assets are held in trust by a charity, you should, because that's exactly the kind of response that you should expect. Is that you know guys who are making money shouldn't be shouldn't be holding people up, you know, at gunpoint and say, give me your money, man, because you're, you have, you have equity for a reason. And that's the benefit is you're supposed to be somewhat of a buffer for people in this time. And for you to give charity at another time when people don't need it as much mm -hmm. instead of today, you know, you should think twice. Um, you should think twice. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't need to pontificate that much. You know, some of us are fairly fortunate and, you know, and the, the privilege, you know, doesn't necessarily deserve a voice. Um, but I will say that, you know, we, we've been looking at the pricing of the market as being frothy for two years. How can I buy a three cap? What the hell's wrong with you? I mean, you know, it's, it's it, you know, six cap for a grocery anchored, you know, retail plaza in the middle of nowhere with no future upside. And, you know, and, and, and the Walmart doesn't even pay any rent. You know, it's go figure that you're going to end up in problems when you have no buffer and you have, and you have some model pro forma for bad debts. I mean, Come on, you know it's this is this is not a problem in terms of in, in in terms of like surprise. This is this is just the market trying to push cash and people trying to push cash as hard as they possibly can, and certain asset managers gorging on fees with very limited equity. 
in, 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 in the game. And what you find is an overbuilt market or, you know, in Calgary, but here we're going to face the same thing in office. You know, and we have office exposure and we have, and we have residential exposure in, you know, in all levels of the, in all levels of income. Uh, it's, this is the kind of thing you see when you try and build a seven year asset and predict how the thing's going to turn out. What do you think? You think you yeah. think that, you know, who has a crystal ball for seven years? I can barely tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow. And so um, I think that's why we've been holding cash. That's why I've been looking at mortgage workout situations for a very for a couple of years. That's why, you know, the last guys from the 90s that still remember how they were restructuring junior bonds, you know, without any collateral at that point are starting to think, OK, how did we do that again? And um, it's. Uh, it's a market where we're delivering record amounts of condos in, you know, at record high pricing and we don't know our counterparties and everything is recourse. And there's a third derivative risk that no one speaks about, but that will be the eye of the storm if it goes there. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, I love it because it's, it is a long life asset and you, you can kind of see the train coming down the track, so to speak. And if you, uh, yeah, if you think you can just jump out of the way at the last minute, that's probably not the way to play that game, eh? But many have made that mistake before, so you, you won't be the first, unfortunately. Okay, well, we've heard a lot from, from both of you on, on what's happened and both over the last decades, uh, quite a few decades, and one over the last eight decades. Um, what, um, what kind of pearls of wisdom would you have for someone that's coming to this market? Maybe they've... Uh, They've been used to the equity markets and they're like, you know what? It's time to get into real estate. Um, how would you uh, maybe start with Jimmy? Because uh, you kind of have the public, a lot more public uh, side. Would you uh, kind of advise them to start with REITs and then build up and go into direct? Or, you know what? Just go direct. Uh, you have the control and uh, you can work your own leverage and you don't have to worry about management because you're it. Or maybe that would be a worry. Uh, what would you say to... Uh, to like a public markets investor that's looking at getting exposure to real estate. Yeah, I mean, uh, right now, if you compare what's going on in the private market and the public markets, well, I could tell you that in all likelihood over the next couple of months, there's really nothing going on in the private market. You know, I don't think anyone would be transacting to any large degree. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the guys at Slate on the private equity side, it's all pens down. Um, let's wait and see how this shakes out. Um, and, and so, there's probably not a whole lot to do on the private side, um, at least in the short term. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure the, the decision to go into public markets, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really about where, in my view, where the opportunities are, but also as an investor, uh, where is your comfort level, right? Because when, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of these private REITs, the, the non-listed uh, REITs, uh, have become popular, and in fact, Blackstone, I think, have this non-listed read that's gone from zero to 12 billion in three years. Uh, and I think part of the reason is because a lot of investors don't want to see the volatility uh, in the public markets. Um, right. Just don't, date it. The don't, don't, don't appraise it yet or don't, don't tell us the price. That's yet. right. That's right. There's a daily mark. There's a minute by minute mark in the public markets. And whereas in the private market, uh, uh, you don't see the mark. Uh, and if you do, it's once a quarter maybe, or even once a year. Um, and, you know, there's, good, there's pros and cons to that, right? Because uh, sometimes, the, especially when the volatility is so high uh, in the public markets, you know, you're, you're the biggest enemy. Uh, I think I, I read something 
uh, the other day uh, by somebody who said that like we're now entering a period where um, your returns are going to be based on your behavior as much as the fundamental outcome. Um, and so public markets, because you see the daily market, it could make you do things that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, and whereas, you know, in some ways buying into something direct where you don't necessarily see the mark, it doesn't make you do things unnecessarily in, in you know, for short term, for short term, you know, in, with a short term mindset. So I, mm-hmm. I think it really depends on that. But, but I mean, from our perspective, uh, because we play in public markets, uh, I, I think the opportunity today is in the public markets, but we're being very careful, right? Uh, we don't know, as I mentioned, you know, how long this is going to last, uh, how many, you know, what permanent damage will incur uh, by, by some of the tenants. And so we're prudently allocating to the public markets today. Um, so that's that's kind of and then and then I would say you know for somebody entering the market I would say again like going back to sort of uh, uh, behavioral biases um, when when we have that much uncertainty it's very natural to be stressed and when you're stressed what you do is you think short term and you put more emphasis on the negative things than the positive things and and I'm certainly a victim to that uh, sort of natural human bias right oh, yeah. the, the concept of loss aversion like when i look at the screen the down days definitely hurt a lot more than the up days right um and so yep when so i think the main thing is to just think clearly and try to control your level of stress and to try to think uh, a little bit more long term and so that you don't overreact to what you see because we all know like in you know when we see a ticker move by five or ten percent a day uh, you know, the real world doesn't move that fast, right? It's just the market trying to discount what, what the probable outcome is going to be. So I think if you're ready to, if, if you're willing to tolerate that kind of volatility, certainly the market is starting to present some interesting opportunities. Uh, what do you think, Adam? Are, do, you, do you guys have any uh, public market like read exposure or is it mostly uh, direct, direct real estate? And uh, if you were starting again, would you again, like like same as to Jimmy? Would you, would you personally look to look at REITs as a way to get in with relatively modest uh, capital uh, capital uh, allocation, or or just still say no, no, we should just go direct and and just try to buy as much real estate as you can and kind of build. Uh... Um, you know, you have to look at this. I mean, I look at this as we we do manage certain public accounts. I mean. It, not necessarily focused in real estate, you know, of our own, we manage our own accounts and we also have fund of funds. And so what I will say is that if you look at any fund and there's only one fund that I've looked at, that's up this month and it's up 50%, right? It's up 50%. It's a short fund, but you have to put in perspective that that guy, you know, he's, he's, he's <laughs> he was hated in, for a long time. Yeah. He was hated, but he's, 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 he started the fund in 2013 and he was down to about 23% of assets trying to wait out, trying to pick the bottom. Eventually, I think he gave up and, and blaming quantitative easing. And so, you know, the bear, I don't, I mean, besides for him, who's up 50%, I don't really know others that are like that. We have one fund that went, that got, that had a margin call and got sold out, you know, relatively, high profile um, in the credit markets. Um, we're going to see how that one works out, especially considering that 
now that they got sold out, they're not going to have as much leverage to lever up that portfolio going back up. So it's, you know, it to be seen. And those guys are highly confident. The problem is, is that you can't really pick your highs and you're not going to pick your lows. And I tell you to go look at long-term asset, long-term capital management, and then, you know, rethink your strategy. Um, we sold out of the publics in equities in January. And the impetus for that was I've been spending a lot of time looking over the different regulatory regimes between the U.S. and Canada in terms of bank oversight and how credit losses are managed and how they take provisions. And you'll see a, you'll see a discrepancy between the two systems, even though you wouldn't know it and no one talks about it. And so, you know, thinking mm. about that and then trying to and, and, and anyone who's in distress, you say you, you talk to a, you talk to you talk to anybody and they say there's no loans in special even though you walk into Calgary and it's 25% vacant, trying to sell me a rent stabilized five cap in an office building that's completely empty. And you can go, you can go and do whatever you want, but I'm not buying that. And so when I, I left there at that point with that offer, they, they offered that they tried to sell that to me. And that was when oil was 30 bucks a barrel. We're going to see what happens when it's five. And then they're, they're thinking that oil may go negative actually in Canada because Hold on, what? Oil, oil prices may go negative. <laughs> I don't know, but that was a, that was a call, and is, I think it has to do something to do with storage. Um, I think it has oh, to yeah. do with the transportation yeah. to storage because yeah. you you can't just you have to keep pumping, and you you can't just you know pour it over the countryside. It's uh, not that's not acceptable yeah, and not illegal, longer, and yes. definitely not no longer legal to do that. Um, and so I would say. In, and we're not, and we're not looking to do any public investing right now. I think my dad, after he sold out, after they after they had the major drawdown in the markets, he started to say, "Okay, let's get into Hydro One. Let's do, let's do, you know, let's do some utilities. Those are those are a safety net." But then I have a friend in the railroad industry. He's like, you know, our garbage business is down fifty percent. Like, what do you mean? Isn't that recession proof? He's like, yeah, but half of it is west restaurant waste. I'm just like, ah. what the hell's wrong with you people? I mean, seriously, like you can't predict this kind of stuff. I mean, you're going to you're going to think that, you know, the guy, the restaurant waste is 50 percent of waste for some of these public companies. And then and then Hydro One and these restaurants don't have power. And I mean, yeah, of course, they're still they're still, you know, keeping the refrigerators going. But, you, you know, you can't you can't. You, why, why? Why would you just not stay at home? You know, have a good relationship with your family. You know, get to know the people that you may have not have seen, you know, for long periods of time for many years. And then when the things start to come back, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You start to figure things out. But I would definitely say that the REIT market is, is they some say that it's oversold. But if you start to look at the high yield indexes for, you know, for credit, you start to see that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the dividend is 17%, but, you know, low grade corporates, especially CCCs and lower are trading, you know, at 18%. And so once you start mm. to take that and start to look at what does this equity represent in terms of the bond market and am I getting, am I getting discounts or am I arbitraging? I'd say, unless you're a credit guy, stay home because you're never going to figure this one out. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, so maybe what's, what's uh, one opportunity, what's your advice for investors? If they, if they, uh, where, where, where do you think they should go? Maybe just stay with Adam for a bit. And, yeah. Um, you know, besides for the capital calls and your third derivative risk of other guys going bankrupt and you having to prop up other people that you didn't know had these like unsecured, unsecured credit, which you could have never factored for, which now you need to account for because you have capital coming due or you have a partnership where there's CapEx requirement and he's no longer good for his money and you have to back him up or he needs to sell because he's, he's, in, he's in liquidation. 
you know, besides for, you know, managing that bucket of risk for, you know, which a new guy would never have, but an older guy would think about. And so a new guy would say, look, I don't have all these legacy problems. I don't have all these boards to deal with where everyone's screaming and crying and trying to project all these problems. And so if I have a clear conscience and, and a direction and I saw, you know, the office market, you know, still pushing in new inventory, even though we have record record vacancy lows, I, you know, you start to see some some layoffs and, you know, maybe some things happen in terms of openings of new space. And, you know, maybe behavior changes after the recession and we realize we don't need that fixed cost. Um, retail, you know, has obviously been pretty bad, but, you know, food related retail tends to have been, you know, you know re well received. Um, I would say hold your horsepower. There's going to be, you know, all of the private mix, I mean, that I know of have stopped redemptions. So floodgates will open and you're going to have to weed through a lot of crap. Um, but, you know, if you don't know anything about restructuring and how to go through the problems and weed out, you know, that one property where the former owner refi, you know, financed 200%, because we've been dealing in an economy where people have been able to finance 200% on closing. It's insane. Totally. It's insane. I mean, you see the dead bodies uh, and some of these risk managers, I don't know, you know, I don't know who they risk managers are. And, you know, if you, if, if you spend enough time with guys that have dealt with, you know, secret service or, you know, military types of backgrounds, they say, look, man, there's a lot of stuff moving around in these markets that you don't know about. And so you should be careful. And so, it, 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 and you don't know why, and none of us want to wake up dead tomorrow. Um, but there are, there are very, there have been very poorly underwritten deals that have been very competitive. And if you buy a property and the guy had a plan for 200 homes, but he purchased another property right next to it where he put the plan for the stormwater pond for the site in place and they don't, and, 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 and the lender on one doesn't have a lien on the other, you're going to end up with the 200 homes that have nowhere to drain the water. And so you're, you're not going to make any money. And so you have to think of the complexity. And so I would say just wait for the bigger income producing companies that need cash because they have senior secure to just start to sell. And you're going to see a trickle down to mm -hmm. the smaller stuff and, and find your nice income property and stay at home and earn your, you know, maybe you'll get a seven or eight cap at that point. Like, holy crap. I mean, you think about that in terms of two years ago, you know, people would say you're 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 a wizard. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome, right? Yeah, cool. And Jimmy, what's your one pick? It's because because so Adams was don't do anything until you do you find a good good uh, a good income property. What what will yours your, your kind of your pick be or or sector of the market maybe? Yeah, uh, the well the approach that we would take is is. Um, we're not jumping back in. We're not jumping into the market in an aggressive way today. And and like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty still uh, that will be played out. And the the likelihood of negative headline news as it relates to rent relief and all of those, and the repercussions of those, I think that's still to be played out. So we're not. Uh, in fact, we actually raise a little bit of cash uh, at the at the end of the month, uh, just in anticipation of that. Uh, but the way I would approach it is not so much as a single bucket right like I, I i would take a portfolio approach right and you know i would go with sort of and that's how we're doing it we're, we're going with some quality names that have liquidity that can that have more survivability than anything else um names that we otherwise could not own um just a couple months ago because of valuation so and names mm -hmm. that have good tailwinds right like um 
industrial have good tailwinds, but there's probably going to be some, it's probably going to be prickly over the next little while. Um, but that's a sector you'd want to be in. Um, and then if you really want uh, to bargain hunt, and I think it may be a bit too early uh, now, but I mean, where the, the three, the, the, really the four major sectors that are seeing the most hit from this is anything to do with oil, so Alberta related or Houston related, uh, tourism related, so that's right. hotels, or gaming, seniors housing is at the heart of the crisis. They've gotten hit really hard um, and, and retail. Um, so I would say those four sectors are where you're seeing the most hurt. Doesn't mean that's where you're gonna get find really good bargains. Some of them may end up being permanently impaired for quite a long time, but that's where I would start to is be a good hunting ground. Um, in terms of like picking the bottom, I mean I think uh, Adam said something that was kind of interesting. You know, like you can't pick the bottom. There's there's nothing certain about what gonna ha- what's gonna happen over the next you know three months. But what is certain, at least what the math that we can do today is, you know, and, and that's what investing has always been about. It's about what, what's the value that you're getting for what, it's, a, it's an equation of value and price, right? It's kind of fundamental right. value investing, right? So nothing is bad, nothing is great. It's just what's the price you're paying for that, right? And so we're spending a lot of time just doing math, which is, um, okay, so... Seniors housing, for instance, as an example, um, you know the 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 market is pricing about a ten to fifteen point decline in occupancy for uh, for for the senior housing operators in that space. Now, you know, could could it be ten to fifteen percent? It's not inconceivable. Um, but at at what point do you then say, well, okay, this is getting ridiculous. That this means that the business is not gonna is not gonna Right. Continue forever. So that's the that's the hard question to answer, you know, and, and it's it's never meant to be easy investing, especially in uncertain times. And so this is the kind of hard judgment we have to make is is we can do the math in terms of what the market's pricing. And then it's 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 our judgment to determine how realistic and reasonable that that uh, that, uh, you know, that the market is pricing in. So I don't have a, a trade sort of, you know, single answer is that you got to be buying this, but I think it's a portfolio approach, but, but I do think, you know, you want to be prudent going into this market, given the level of uncertainty and given that in the short term, we may hear more negative news than, than positive news. Right. But not the, not the four horsemen of, uh, was it tourism and, uh, and, uh, healthcare and such that's, uh, but tourism and, and seniors homes, those are the ones that will probably, like you say, be a bit prickly going forward. Yeah, and retail. Uh, oh, retail. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this has been great. I really enjoyed the speaking with both of you. Um, uh, so we'll uh, we'll sign off from here. Uh, thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to Adam. And uh, we we'll look forward to having you again on another podcast sometime soon. And uh, we're uh, going to be recording probably two of these a day going forward. So we've got a lot of great content. But uh, I say this is uh, this is definitely a keeper. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me.